BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIB.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. As we near the end of the year, a lingering issue in our province is the uncertainty around the industry commonly called ride-hailing. Some call it ride-sharing. It's the industry generated by services like Uber and Lyft, and specifically by their smartphone apps that make booking a ride, hailing it, if you will, easy and much more defined. BC is the largest jurisdiction in the Western world without this service. The BC provincial government has recently announced measures that will introduce ride hailing at some point, probably in about a year or so. But they come with compromises on the scope of the business, restrictions on who and how we will ride hail. Public opinion on this issue is an important ingredient in how it is emerging, and certainly the pressure to get the job done. And I wanted to get our resident public opinion researcher, Mario Canseco, the president of Research Co. in to talk about this today. So here he is. Mario, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Kirk. What do British Columbians want? Well, they want everything, which is usual. (laughs) They want things to happen fairly quickly. There's about half who say that the uh, timeline that the BC government has set for ride hailing is okay, but there's 42% who dislike this idea. They think it should be done quicker. Mm -hmm. Uh, The group that is more likely to be dissatisfied is millennials. If you're 18 to 34, you're more likely to rely on these services. You're more likely to have experienced them in other jurisdictions. And you want to see them in BC sooner rather than later. Do British Columbians, when they say they want what is coming down the road, Do they really understand what they're going to get yet? No, I think that's definitely part of the problem. Uh, There's a a notion that you're going to be getting roughly the same experience that you've had in other uh, cities in Canada or in North America. unlikely to be the case. It's unlikely to be the case. Uh, There's still concerns about other things that are related to this, particularly when it comes to congestion, whether you're going to have some more traffic in Metro Vancouver because Mm. of this. Uh, We've seen the situation in New York, for instance, where they're now saying we're not going to allow any more licenses unless you're serving an area where there's nobody there. They don't want to have another 2,000, 3,000 cars in Manhattan. Um, So in that sense, that seems to be the major concern. And the other one is the type of license that you require to be a ride-hailing operator. Uh, There's more residents who believe that it should be a class 4 license, which requires some medical exam, some sort of testing, uh, and not just a class 5 license like the one you and I have, which would allow us to do something on the weekends if we want to have a sidekick. Yeah. I often feel some of the drivers in our area have like class 11 licenses or something. <laughs> They're some not great ones. But, but it, it, does the issue of safety factor in with what people want out of a, a ride-hailing service? It is one of the top ones. I think the main one is congestion. There's a lot of concern yeah. about what is going to happen with this. And I think that's what the government needs to figure out. Are we going to have this ride-hailing operators uh, on nights, on weekends, on specific rush hours, what is going to be the type of situation so that you have? So is there going to be a cap, for instance, right. on the number of vehicles that can be on the road at any given point? And if you, frankly, if the cap is filled, you you can't get in your car and start ambling around town to pick up rides. Well, that is going to be one of the major challenges, mm. uh, particularly because we do not have a legislation yet or regulations, I should say, that allow you to work in different cities. I mean, we've had that situation with taxi drivers who take you to a place and can't take anybody to bring back to the city where they operate. So that's one of the things that they need to figure out. Uh, but also, 
I think one of the reasons why this debate has been so polarized is everybody can register their displeasure on social media. You're coming back from a trip. You see the lineup at the airport. The first thing you have available is your phone, and you're going to say, when is Uber going to get here? Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely plays a role in the apprehension, particularly for millennials, because you know they don't understand why this isn't happening already, and it's taken a long time. And two different governments that have been thinking about this. Yeah, we've had people in our studio, Mario, who, who when they complete the interview start fiddling with their smartphone and start wondering, do you guys have internet service in here? I can't get my Uber app to work. And they're like, yeah, well, come back in a couple of years. Maybe it'll work then. What is interesting to me, uh, among many other things in all of this, is that the backdrop for this is, of course, uh, uh, a kind of a political power that the taxi industry has always had. It's had it uh, municipally in Vancouver and in Surrey in particular, uh, perhaps in Richmond, uh, and now seemingly at the provincial level. Are British Columbians cottoning on to the fact that part of the delay in all of this is also a form of insurance or insulation or protection for an incumbent industry? That's definitely the case. I think there's a, a deep understanding of why this is happening here at a slower pace than anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And it definitely has to do with the political ramifications. Even though we no longer have a situation where corporations can donate to political campaigns municipally or provincially, you still have the influence of the groups. You can still have somebody who says to their 100 or 120 employees, let's support this party. Well, let's do it individually, um, but let's, you know, make sure that they can bring in legislation that is going to be beneficial to us and is not going to be detrimental to the cost of our licenses, which I think is the biggest issue. Yeah, I mean, I think even the liberals would acknowledge, the BC liberals would acknowledge that in the last campaign, the friends and families of taxi drivers in a city like Surrey may have cost them a seat or two Yeah, on the basis of what appeared to be their more imminent plan to introduce ride hailing. Well, you know, I've, I've done a lot of analysis on, on how people vote. And, and in that particular election, you do see the South Asian community voting because of something that is happening near them. It may not be your taxi, but it might be your uncle's taxi or your father's taxi or somebody you know who paid an obscene amount of money for a license. That's it. It's not not as if this is an industry that, um, you know, doesn't have its own economic complications. And the cost of those plates was at one point uh, into the high six figures. Right. Yes. Well, this is this is what is making a lot of people uneasy. You know? yeah. uh, am I going to be? Because the solution for that is not uh, as simplistic as it was told three or four years ago. Well, just drive an Uber and you'll be fine. No, I'm, I'm already five hundred thousand dollars. Someone's in the hole holding. Here. Someone's holding a uh, big debt. And, yeah. and now somebody else who has who didn't pay that money for a license is going to be able to do the job. So it's definitely part of the problem. And, and in, in the greater scheme of things. Uh, the idea of bringing Vancouver in line with other cities uh, when it comes to technology, when it comes to the use of Uber, uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I don't see a lot of uh, specific pushback from groups that say, I don't want to see this happen. But there's definitely that cautious effort from the government. I don't think they want to upset people who have been nice to them before. And this is why the timeline is longer than it should be in a month when you're desperately going to need these services. Yeah. Parties, things, people who drink and shouldn't be driving. Like You need more cars on the road. Yeah, it, it, it is going to become evident, I think, in the next number of weeks about the lack of a service like this and what its consequences are. Do Vancouverites also see some irony in this? Here we, we portray ourselves as a tech city and we <laughs> don't have something that is um, almost old tech now. Well, it is definitely 
ironic. And I think we, we do realize that when we meet somebody who's coming to the city for the first time or who is expecting a certain kind of service or who is used to paying for transportation with an app and now they can't do it because this is a completely different scenario. So there's there's definitely that sense. Um, and it's it's not conducive to to making us look like leaders. I think we have a lot of technology, a lot of things that are working well, but when you don't have something like this and you need to explain to somebody who's coming in from outside of British Columbia why this is happening, they definitely get a sense of dismay. So is there anything in your research that is starting to speak to the direction that the provincial government needs to take in order to make sure that this becomes more of a winning than a losing issue for it? Well, I think the key is going to be what type of... um, scenario that you have to deal with people who have a taxi license? And are you going to be more likely to allow somebody who is from British Columbia to develop something that is similar to what Uber and Lyft are doing? So it becomes a matter of, for the sake of argument, going back to the 1970s, do you want McDonald's in Canada or do you want a place where you can have burgers and fries? So if your expectation is to get Uber and you get a made in BC solution, you might be disappointed or you might be happy depending on the circumstances. Are British Columbians also accepting of the fact that there are, first of all, there already are some of these ride-hailing services. They just are under the radar quite a bit, um, as we see them particularly in in places like Richmond. Are British Columbians content with the fact that there could be a proliferation of these services, or or do they really accept the fact that they need to be in a particular size sandbox? Well, I think the the, the, the number one issue uh, is congestion. So I think that's one of the main factors that is driving opinion on this. I mm-hmm. would like to see something that would help me when I need it, but I definitely don't want to be in a row of cars waiting for somebody who's going to be picked up. So I think congestion plays a larger role, uh, but it's also concerns about how the industry will look. Is this going to end up allowing somebody to have a side gig and to benefit an enterprise that is located outside of Canada in a way um, and not really help the people who are driving here. So I think that's a delicate balance for the government too. You you can't just turn this into some sort of competition and say, well, you know, uh, milk is no longer brought in horse-drawn carriages to our doors. So this is just the way of the future. Is the side hustle thing uh, apparent to a lot of British Columbians that a lot of people would, would use this potentially as a bit of a mortgage helper in the way that say, a basement suite might have 10 years ago. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of appetite for this. Uh, There's people who say, I would consider this. Obviously, it'll be a lot easier if you had the class five license. So you have that balancing act. You know, people want to have a class four license because they want the safety. But if you want to be somebody who can drive a car for the next couple of days, if you're not doing anything, then you want to have the class five situation. So it's, it's going to be difficult for the government. Maybe the solution will be to come up with some sort of class 4.5 license that yeah. is going to allow you to do this and to serve the public without having to go through all of the exams. Getting back to the earlier point about uh, whether British Columbians understand this, do you think that uh, the number of people who perhaps eye the idea of being a ride-hailing driver are yet cottoning on to how challenging it might be in order to actually get to that point and perhaps how costly and therefore how uneconomical? it might be to have that as a side hustle. Well, it's also part of the problem. And I think there's the expectation of w- once this happens, the door will be open and everybody will be able to do this. And yeah. it's not that simple. It's just like any other permit. Uh, those of us who have had to stand in line to get a permit for anything, a fence, uh, setting up a company, whatever it is, you know, you know that it's a process that is going to take longer. I think there's a lot of people who very naively assume, well, I'll just download the app, I'll be a driver and I'll drive people around. I don't think it's going to be that simple. Would this have been averted 
do you think if we had um, a, a much more uh, substantial public transit system? I mean, again, do people see the relationship? If they're worried about congestion, uh, do they do they think that the absence of congestion is going to help them get around somehow? Well, that's definitely part of the problem. I think it's also related to the times in which you have access to those uh, transit vehicles. Right. Um, if you're coming out of a party, if you're doing something late at night, this is why millennials are so desperate about Uber. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're tired of calling for a cab that doesn't get there or a cab that won't take them to the places where they want to go. Uh, they feel like having that opportunity will make it a lot easier. Now, for the sake of argument, if you were to have transit uh, working later and later and on, on the weekends, maybe you'll see a little bit of a drop in those concerns, but it takes a while. I mean, we've been talking about the expansion of uh, SkyTrain for, for years now, and it's still it's oh, yeah. still something that is going to take a long time. Yeah, quite a long time. Uh, last area, Marion, and, and I want to get back to the issue of how uh, the Horgan government manages this when it has Andrew Weaver, who seems to be putting a ride-hailing piece of legislation out there about every six weeks. Uh, he now has the liberals also saying, listen, we can, we could get this done much in a much more accelerated way. Does he just stick to his timetable and, uh, and say, you know, it's going to be next fall before anybody can possibly even apply and therefore probably mean something like 2020. I think it depends on, on the outcome of the proportional representation referendum. That is going to huh. uh, enable Weber, if they win the referendum, to say, okay, we're fine, let's just wait till the next election, and because of the new system, we'll do better, regardless of which system it is. Uh, I find it quite endearing that the liberals want to bring this for Valentine's Day, so it's a kind of a nice mm -hmm. niche day to, to try to bring this in. Um, there's definitely pressure on the Greens to, to try to deliver on this. And, you know, Weaver has been very outspoken about the fact that this is required. Uh, the Greens tend to be very tech savvy and they like this idea. And he says that there's a, there's a way to do this without congestion. So there might be a little bit of pressure on the government to deliver and to say, well, maybe we won't do it in February, but maybe we'll do it a little bit sooner than the fall because there's a need and all of the three parties are in favor of doing this. We just disagree on when to bring it uh, to reality. And by the way, do the Green supporters also understand the irony of calling for something that puts a lot of gas-guzzling vehicles on the road, potentially? Well, one of the things that is quite interesting is there are uh, many considerations about the type of vehicle that should be allowed. Uh, uh, they're worried about congestion, partly because of they want to get from A to B quicker, but also because of what it will do to the environment. So, you know, there's a lot of suggestions from only the hybrids supporters. And EVs. Only hybrids, only electrics. Uh, figure out a way in which yeah. you can do something like this. You, it, have it seen, be, you have seen the taxi industry move a great deal toward hybrids over yeah. the years just in order to, frankly, save their gas costs. Well, in a way, I think they're in a better position than they were four years ago. I mean, the, the first time I asked about ride hailing, all you got is the taxis are terrible. They're always dirty. You can't get them. There's no smart apps that allow us to to do something. So they, they've stepped up their game. It's not on an Uber level, and I don't think it will be because the expectations are high. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's definitely been taxi companies that have been trying to get into that side of the market and say, you know, we're, we're changing, we're working, we're trying to do things. There is also the regulatory framework that won't allow me to pick you up in Surrey and drop you off in Port Moody. Is there anything that the public wants from its taxis that would somehow assuage them um, and not necessarily put the same degree of public pressure on the government to introduce ride hailing? Uh, the number one thing is uh, feeling safe when you're in the car. And, mm. you know, there's uh, there's lots of complaints about taxi drivers who are distracted, who are not wearing the seatbelts for a wide range of reasons, um, who are 
not paying attention to the road, who are eating. So the experience inside the cab is the thing that is making people upset. You know, if you need this because it's the only way to get from one point to another, you're not going to complain that much. But when I've done research on the way people react to the taxi industry, the number one thing is safety. And I don't feel like I'm safe in a car that is being driven by this person. It's about 25 or 30%, which might not sound like a lot, but three out of 10 people getting on a cab and saying, I don't want to be here is definitely not where you want to be. You've got hundreds of thousands of these trips being taken every day with ride-hailing companies in the United States and parts of Canada, for that matter. And, of course, media every once in a while will come upon an episode. Yeah. You know, one, a rogue driver, uh, you know, uh, somebody who made somebody quite unsafe and all of that. Um, once again, is the public um, apprehending correctly the proportion here and, and, and the number of safe rides that are there? the number of good drivers, the number of appropriate ways to get them from point A to point B? Or or do these episodes um, really stir people to greater worry? It, it does paint a picture that is not conducive to reality. Um, I understand that better than most people. I've done 79 elections in my life. One went wrong. That's the only one people ask me about. <laughs> so I understand the hey, frustration. we don't cover plane landings. No, no, exactly. You only cover yeah. plane crashes. Yeah. That's completely understandable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's that sense of, you know, I read somewhere that an Uber driver did this. When it's a massive industry with a lot of people, um, it definitely paints the wrong picture when it comes to stuff that should be measured quantitatively. I mean, obviously, you never want to see a situation where somebody becomes violent, but it doesn't suggest that every Uber driver is violent the same way that it doesn't suggest that the polling industry is doomed because of one failure. So yeah. that, that there's definitely more of a role that the media could play in, in discussing some of these things. Will we have ride hailing as a Christmas gift in 2019? There's got to be a way to get it done. I think if the, if the goalposts continue to move, uh, there's going to be a, a, a lot of desperation from all three parties to, to try to do something. I think this timeline allows the government to say, we're going to take care of the taxi industry that has been nice to us in the past. And we're going to allow people to do this as a side gig without compromising anything that exists. It's not as simple as just saying, download the app and go nuts. Yeah. Uh, they're giving their some some time. And, you know, there's half of BC residents who say, okay, I want to see where this is going. But if we get to the fall of 2019 and we're still trying to figure out the framework, people are going to be dissatisfied, no question. We alluded to the fact that there were probably a couple of writings in Surrey that might have been influenced by the, the threat of uh, a ride hailing. But is, is this really one of those serious issues, Mario, that people will vote upon if there's, a, say, an early election in 2020 or even 2019? It could play a role in some areas, but it's not going to be the deciding factor. I yeah. think, you know, we have a situation where the economy is doing well, where uh, the NDP can head into the next year saying, you know, nothing broke. We still have our credit rating the way it used to be. Um, I think it's more a matter of the type of province that you want. And, and the onus is on the BC Liberals to try to figure out a way to say this is unfair. They could do it with the taxation issue. They could discuss certain decisions that the government has made. But I, I don't think this is going to win you a lot of votes in the areas where you need them. Yeah. Uh, you may have lost some votes in Surrey because of this. So I don't see Andrew Wilkinson going to Surrey and talking about right hailing. I, I, maybe he'll do it somewhere else. Yeah. Mario Canseco, always good to have you on the program. Thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure, Kirk. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening to BIB Today. We'll see you next time.